Hi and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We're going to be learning Moed Katan 6b Vav Amud Beis today, and we're going to start actually from the very bottom of 6a, so Vav Amud Aleph. And um, <clears throat> we're talking about Kilayim. We're talking about um, mixed forbidden mixed um, species in your fields. And we're going to talk about the requirement. We're going to talk about how much of these forbidden mixtures do you need to have in your field in order to be required or obligated to uproot them. So we're going to start from the words the ad kama, the ad kama. So up to how much of a forbidden species in a general field? Um, how much do you need to have? of that forbidden species that makes it into a forbidden mixture in order to have to uproot it. So Amr says, It's like what we learned in the Mishnah. Okay, now we're turning to 6b. If you have a quarter, and this is referring to a quarter kav, um, of a different species mixed within one se'ah, um, then you have to um, you have to take it out. Then you have to reduce it so that you have less than a quarter kav per se'ah. But now we're going to ask the question, Vahatanya, but didn't we learn in a b'raisa, hiskinu shiyuhu mafkirin kolasada kula? It seems here that um, you need to uproot it if you have a quarter kav within a sa'ah, and then you're good to go as long as you uproot it. Whereas a b'raisa taught us that the sages instituted, hiskinu, they instituted shumafkirin called sadakula, that if if kalayim, if forbidden mixture was found in your field, then the entire field is declared ownerless by the Beit Din, by the Jewish court. So which one is it? Is it that you just have to uproot, uproot it so that you bring it down below the level of 124th, 124th of a kav per sa'ah? Or do you, if you have it, does the Beit Din um, fine you by making your entire field ownerless? Which one is it? So we answer, lo kashet, it's not a question. Kan kodim takana, kan la'achar takana. Where we say that the inspectors would just take out the growth and then leave the field to be, um, that was before the enactment of the sages. And where we say that the whole field is deemed ownerless, that's after the enactment of the sages. What's this a reference to? Titania, we learned in Abraisa. Originally, if an inspector found um, forbidden mixtures, they would uproot the forbidden mixture and then throw it in front of the owner of the field's animals to eat. But the homeowners, they would rejoice the double rejoicing um, but they would be uh, it would be a slap in the face to the inspectors. They would rejoice as this happened. And they would rejoice because, and they would rub it in their face because now the inspectors had weeded the field for them. And secondly, they all, they're, they're, the, the inspectors also fed, fed their animals. So they rejoice in a very rubbing in your face type of way. So the sages decided that they needed to be a little bit more uh, stringent, a little bit more serious about it. So what did they do then? 
So they said that the inspectors would uproot it and then throw it on, throw what was uprooted onto the roads so that it wouldn't be used. Um, so at least this way, they wouldn't have as much to get um, to rub in the face. Um, however, the field owners would still rejoice a great rejoicing, because this meant the inspectors weeded the field for them at least. <laughs> And they would rub that in their face, you know, make it seem like they don't, you know, that that they don't care, and and uh, this is great what the inspectors are doing. Um, so then at that point the sages said, Hiskinu shiyuhu mafkirin kol hasadakulasa. At that point the sages said that if kalayim is found in your field, um, then the inspectors would have the permission to declare the entire field ownerless, and that obviously got people. Uh, much more serious about making sure there's no climb in the field and certainly um, not rubbing anything in the face of the inspectors because it was uh, it would have been terrible if they were caught with climb. All right, new Mishnah. We're going to continue talking about watering crops on Chol HaMoed on the intermediate days of the festival. Let us begin. Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov says... You're allowed to divert water from one tree to another tree. So if you have a pool of water around one tree and another tree um, um, could use that water, then you're allowed to make a small channel to divert the tree, the water from that tree to the second tree. Um, and the reason that Rashi explains for us as to why you're allowed to do this um, is because there's a danger of considerable loss in the event that trees are not watered regularly, so you are allowed to water them on Cholamoid. Okay, um, provided that one does not water the entire field, but rather sticks to the trees, um, because the rest of the field can survive on rainwater alone, and therefore to water it on Cholamoid would not be essential for it, and therefore um, we're good to go. Therefore, you, you have to make sure that the whole field doesn't get watered. If you have plants that were not watered regularly before the festival, in other words, they did not need consistent watering, you're not allowed to water them on The sages permit the watering, both in this case and in this case. And what is this a reference to? It's referring to the two cases where Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov was stringent. Um, number one, the sages would, if you're diverting water from one tree to another, they would pay, permit you to water the entire field. And number two, they would allow you to water plants that were not red, watered regularly before Yom Tiv. Okay, um, that's the Mishnah. Now let's do the Gemara. If the field had been naturally moist and then it dried up, then you're permitted to water it. Meaning, if the situation of the field changed, then you're allowed to water it. Meaning, because Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov had said that if you have a rain-watered field, you're not allowed to water it, um, even if you're watering its trees specifically. So now Rabbi Yehuda is telling us that there's an exception regarding a field that was originally moist, right? Uh, maybe it had an underground water source, and then on Cholamoyed it dried up, um, so then the situation of that field changed, and then if you don't water it, it would lead to an irretrievable loss, and therefore you're allowed to water it on Chol HaMoed. Okay. Um, when we also learned this in Abraisa, when they said that it's prohibited to water them on Chol HaMoed, 
um, which is a reference to um, a rain-watered field. Uh, they only said this regarding plants that were not watered regularly before the holiday itself, but for plants that were watered regularly before the festival, then you are permitted to water them on Cholamoid. If the field had been naturally wet, moist or wet, and then it dried up, you're allowed to water it as well. But you're not allowed to water a naturally dry field on Chol Right, So this is a field that generally relies on rainwater alone. Its earth is naturally dry, and since it's accustomed to dryness, it can go without water on Chol and therefore you're not allowed to do it on Chol itself. Um, but the sages permit the watering both in this case and in that case, uh, meaning the watering of a naturally dry field, as well as an ordinary field that was not watered regularly before the festival. They're much more lenient, um, the sages, um, uh, again, just as they are in the Mishnah when they argue with Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov. We can learn from this b'raisa as follows. If you have a garden patch, you can sprinkle water on it on Chol Hamoid. So the idea here is, is that even though a garden patch, it's not going to get ruined, it's not going to have an irretrievable loss if it's left unwatered, nonetheless, you're still allowed to sprinkle it lightly to bring up the vegetables um, on Chol Hamoid. Now, where do we see this in the Braisa? Because the sages had said, um, when you have that dry field that's accustomed to dryness, what is the reason that the sages say you are allowed to irrigate it on Chol The Afla Meshavi It's because the irrigation accelerates, accelerates the rate of growth. So the irrigation and renders the late crop into an early crop. So in other words, in that scenario, it's not like if you don't water that field that's accustomed to dryness, that it will... You'll, you'll suffer an irretrievable loss. It just won't grow as quickly. Um, so just like over there, the sages allow you to dry it, to water it. So here in the, gar- in the case of the garden patch, you sprinkling of the water would allow the late crop to become an early crop and therefore it would be permitted. You can sprinkle a grain field with water during Shemitah, during the Shemitah year, the seventh year, when you're not allowed to work on your fields, but you're not allowed to do that on Chol Hamoi. So we're talking about a rain-watered field, okay? Um, so let's talk about this. Vahatanya, but wait a minute. So, so that said, that's differentiated. That brisa, that um, that differentiated between um, shavius for the shemitah year and on chalmoid. Vahatanya. Now the gemara is going to say, didn't we learn a different brisa? Vahatanya, but didn't we learn in a different brisa? Marbits and You can actually sprinkle a grain field with water both on chalmoid and during the shemitah year. So. How do we resolve this contradiction? It's quite simple, actually. Amar Avuna, Avuna says, Lokasha, it's not a question. This b'raisa, which says that you um, are not allowed to sprinkle on Chalamoy, that reflects Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, who is more stringent um, than the sages when it comes to um, watering on Chalamoy. Whereas this b'raisa, which allows it, that refers to the opinion of the rabbis, of the sages. Okay, Tanei Dach, we learned in another b'raisa, 
Marbitsin Sede Lavan Ervshvias. You can sprinkle a grain filled with water on the eve of Shemitah, Kideshayetsu Yerakos Bishvias, so that the vegetables should sprout forth during the Shemitah year. So, although we do have some restrictions when it comes to Ervshvias, when it comes to the year before the Shemitah year, and as we get later on in the year, you're not allowed to do certain work on your field. Um, we say that you're allowed to sprinkle, nonetheless. Um, I mean, we're more lenient with sprinkling than watering um, so that the vegetables, um, even though the sprinkling will cause the vegetables to sprout during the Shemitah year. Below Oda, not only that, you can even sprinkle a grain field with water during Shemitah. You can do that on Shemitah itself. So that vegetables should sprout after the conclusion of the Shemitah year. Okay, next Mishnah. So, but we've spoken about, um, um, so what we've spoken about here is that there are many scenarios when you're allowed to do work on Chol HaMoid if it's to prevent an irretrievable loss. And now what the Mishnah is going to tell us about is that sometimes, though, this work should be done in an unusual manner, which in Hebrew is referred to as a shinoi. And we find this throughout the laws of Yom Tiv, holidays, and Shabbat, that sometimes things are allowed in extenuating circumstances if you do it in a way that you normally don't do it. It's a shinoi. It's a different way of doing it. So that's what we're going to talk about here. You can trap an ishos, which is a, some sort of mole, and a mouse. Misteha ilan. You can trap them from an orchard and from a grain field, kidarko in the usual matter, manner, is both on Cholamoid and during the Shemitah year. So even though you're not allowed to trap in general on Yom Tiv, and even though trapping these type of animals is a way to improve your field, which would be not allowed during Shemitah, you're nonetheless, you're allowed to trap them in a normal manner. Um, right, because you're they're gonna you're can, you can do this in order to prevent an irretrievable loss. From an orchard, you can trap them in the usual manner because then the loss is great. But from a grain field, you have to trap them in an unusual manner. You have to do it a little bit differently, even though it may require further effort and maybe make it more difficult because these rodents don't damage a grain field as significantly as they damage the orchard. So the potential loss in the grain field is relatively minor. So you have to do the trapping in an unusual manner. Um, you can close a breach in a fence surrounding a field on Chol Um And we'll talk more about this. And in Shemitah year, you can um, even build a new wall in the usual manner. Okay, so we're, again, we're more lenient with Shemitah. So we'll talk more about this as we go on in the Gemara. So now the Gemara is going to ask a quick question. My Ishos, what is an Ishos? It's that animal that I just said with some sort of mole. We're going to figure out what exactly it is. Amar Bihuda Bihuda says, It's a certain creature that has no eyes. Does it have no eyes or does skin cover its eyeballs? Basically, it's 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 basically it becomes blind in some for some in some fashion. Amar Bishmaya. Rava Bar Yishma'os, and some say it was Rav Yim Bar Shlemia, said, My crow, what's the verse that teaches us that in Ishos, this animal is unable to see? The verse tells us in Tehillim in Psalms, the um, King David is referring, the author of Tehillim is talking about um, how evildoers should suffer as follows. Kemoshablo Temes Yahaloch. 
Nafal Ashes Balchazu Shemesh. So like the snail that melts and slithers away, the falling of an Ashes that never saw the sun. We see the word Ashes or Ishos, which is this type of animal and never saw the sun. Um, so we see that it cannot see. It's, it's blind. Uh, you can trap an ishos and a mice from a grain field and from an orchard in the usual manner. You can also destroy ant holes in your fields on chol hamoid. And how do we show we how what is the best way to destroy ant holes? Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Omer Shimon Gamliel says maybe afar. You bring dirt from one ant hole and you place it in the other ant hole. Um, and when you bring um, the dirt from one ant hole to the other, um, probably the way it works is that with the foreign soil now in that ant hole, it completely, um, it completely confuses all of the ants and they end up choking each other. And the ants choke each other to death. And that's how you get rid of ant holes. It's a very, very interesting way to do it. Omar Vyam Bashlami Mishmeda Bayer Vyam Bashama said in the name of a baye, Bahuda Kai Basri Ivri Nara. So now what we're telling you though, um, is that we're just giving some very practical advice here. If you wanna destroy an ant hole in this way, it's only really gonna work if the two ant holes that you're taking from one to the other are located on two sides of a river. So that it's really foreign soil. Vahudalek a gishron, there's no bridge across the river. Vahudalek a gamlan, there's no plank across the river. Vahudalek a mitzron, there's no rope across the river. Um, and then the Gemara is going to finish off and say, Ad Kama. Now we're on 7a, Ad Kama. Until what distance are these ant holes considered too close together that it's not going to be considered foreign soil? Ad Parsa. Until a Parsa, it has to be. We have to be at least 8,000 amos between each other, and ama is about one and a half feet, so between two and a half, so about two and a half miles. That's how far these ant holes need to be from each other in order to be considered foreign to each other, and for this to be an effective way of destroying an ant hole. Okay, we'll stop here for today. Have a wonderful day, um, and take good care.